0: Hey, well, good morning, Midtown family. It's uh, good to worship together. We're going to continue our time of worship by reflecting on God's Word. But before we do, I see some new faces, so I'll introduce myself. My name's Justin. I serve as the associate pastor here at Midtown, and just want to say we're really glad you're here this morning. And again, happy Father's Day to the fathers out there. Uh, Before we jump into our text, I did want to make a special uh, family announcement, and that's that Rebecca and Daniel got engaged. So y'all can stand. Yes. Very happy for you guys. Uh, yeah. Thanks, y'all. Uh, so fun to see, to see that and be part of y'all's lives. So excited to hear more of your story. Um, we're going to jump back into what we've been doing called the Upper Room Discourse. And if you've been with us, our partners and regular attenders, you know we've kind of jumped throughout this multiple times throughout the year. And then we practice to practice, then we've come back. And so today, we're actually in the last chapter of this Upper Room Discourse. And if you remember, this is the last night of Jesus' life on earth. He's spending his time with his disciples, and he's talking to them about how he's going to leave them. And he promised that he's going to send them the Holy Spirit that's going to remind them of things that he taught them, that's going to give them power to tell about those things. that 's actually going to enable them to bear fruit of the spirit. He's also telling them to expect persecution and hard times ahead. And now in this very last time, this last uh, chapter here in chapter 17, we get the longest recorded prayer of Jesus, where Jesus actually prays for his followers. And so we're going to have real fun looking at that today. And I've asked Matt if he would read our passage for us this morning. So if you're able, uh, stand in honor of God's word, and let's hear from the passage this morning. Jesus' prayer.
1: I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you've given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that Scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified." These are the very words of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Matt.
0: I've got some breaking news. We're all going to die. Welcome to Midtown, right? Um, I say that but I, I, reflecting on this, knowing that Jesus, this is the prayer that he's praying right before he knows he's going to die, got me thinking about that, that, that this week. And we're all going to face some time where we have this existential, existential question at the end of our days where we think to ourselves, like, what did I do with my life? Like, what did, I, what, what did my life count for? What did I do with my life? We're all going to face that question. As many of you know, uh, my dad has been in the hospital for the last two and a half weeks. He just got out on Saturday, so thanks for your prayers. Um... And uh, thanks, too, for all the staff that helped fill in the gaps that let me kind of rotate with my brother going to and from, seeing my dad. And a special thanks to Brenda, who held down our whole household during that time. Um, but glad to say that he's been, been released. But no offense to you doctors and nurses. I love you guys. And actually, I respect you even more for what I've been through the last couple of weeks. But I find hospitals to be a terrible place. Like just, just being there, and particularly when, where my dad was in, was in the ICU, and then he was in the neurotrauma unit. And you're just walking in and out of there, and you're just seeing the people that are hurting in so many ways, and you're seeing the families gathered in the waiting rooms. And it just brings home kind of the fact that, yes, we are, we are going to die. And it should humble us to even ask the question or to think like Moses did. And Moses uh, quoted in Psalm 90, he said, teach us to number our days so that we may gain wisdom. And so as I reflected on this passage today, I was thinking, you know, Jesus, his days were numbered when he prayed this prayer. Like, there was one day left. (laughs) He had one day. Of course, he's going to rise from the dead, but he's going to have one more day. And he spends this last bit of time before he's about to get betrayed by praying. And I love what he prays. And it gives you a sense about what was on his heart and his mind, the things that would be most important that you want to talk to the Father about. One of the verses we read last week that I've found to be kind of a life verse for me when I try to think about numbering my days is what Jesus prayed in John 17, four from last week. He said, I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. Like, wow, your last prayer when you know you're about to be betrayed and taken away that you could really step back and say, I've brought you glory. I've, I've, I've finished the work that you gave me to do. Would that we would all be able to say that when our days are numbered. Now, none of us are perfect like Jesus. We don't follow God's will perfectly. But I want us to think for a bit today about what it would look like to be at the end of our days and to be able to pray something like that, like, God, I have finished all the work that you've given me to do. Now, we all have different callings. We all have different passions. We have different spiritual gifts. So we're all going to have a different work that God would have for us in our life. That said, there's one most important work that we all share, that we all share, no matter what God calls us to do. It's something that we're all called to do. And that very work is the work that Jesus himself describes his finishing his work. And it's the very thing that he's going to pray for his disciples that we'll look at today. Let's look at what Jesus considered the work that he finished, starting in verse six. I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have, uh, you have given me comes from you. For I gave them your words that you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they will still and the, but they are still in the world and I'm coming to you. The very first thing that Jesus says when he's talking about finishing the work that God gave him to do, when he does the next words that come from his mouth are that I've revealed yourself. I've revealed you to those that you've given me. That's the work that Jesus was thinking about when he's reflecting on the end of his life. He, he reflects on the people that he was able to reveal God to. That was the work to which he had come. And it's the work to which he's giving to his disciples in this passage. It's the work to which he's giving all of us in different ways, in different places, in different, in different gifts that we have, all of it is ultimately to try to reveal God, reveal Jesus to the world. Not only that, in this part of their prayer, he also says that you, he's revealed that he's been sent from God. If you remember in the whole Upper Room Discourse, there's multiple times where they're trying to say like, where are you? Who are you? And he says, and Jesus is constantly trying to tell them, if you've, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he finally gets down to the point at the very end of chapter 16, where they say, finally, we believe, we believe that you were sent from God. And now here Jesus is reflecting on his disciples and he's praying, Father, they now believe that I was sent from you. That the work that Jesus was finishing was the work of revealing the Father to the people and the work that he's given us to do is to reveal Jesus to the world. When our days are numbered and we're we're left on this earth, you know, he could say, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. And that work was to reveal God, reveal the Father, And this is the same work that he's given you and I to do. It's the same work that he's given us. And we're going to see that by actually what Jesus prays for his disciples next as he gives them that work. But before we jump into that next part of the prayer, where he actually prays that for the disciples, I want to reflect just a minute on one of the phrases that I love in this this passage. He said, I've revealed you to those whom you've given me. I started thinking this week, like, who are those whom God has given him? It's pretty wild that on the, on the night of Jesus' betrayal, and he's praying that the people that come to mind most are these 11 men that he'd walked with. We'll talk about Judas in a minute. <laughs> but Judas, it says, even in this passage, as yes, he's praying, he was the one that was lost. But Jesus spoke to the multitudes. He fed the 5,000. He did miracles. He did so many things. Yet on this last prayer, he's thinking primarily about the ones that God had given him, these 11 men. And he starts by praying for them. Amazing, right? And I think that one of the things when we get to the point in our life, when we're thinking about numbering our days, what's going to come to mind is the people that we've impacted and the specific people that we could say, these were the ones to whom God has given me. So this, this week, I started just ask my question, like, God, who is it? Who are the ones to whom you've given me? Who are the ones that I'm most meant to reveal Jesus to? Who are the ones you've put in my life, in my circle, where I live, work, and play? And how can I be a part of your work in revealing Jesus to them? Who are those whom you've given me? And so I'll ask the same of you. Who are those whom God has given you? And what are you doing right now in your life to help be part of the work that Jesus wants you to finish in revealing Jesus to those people? I can give you some categories. It's Father's Day. The kids, I would say, are the ones whom God has given you. Certainly. Your family members are the ones whom God has given you. Your close friends are those whom God has given you. Your classmates are those whom God has given you. Your coworkers are those whom God has given you. Your neighbors are those whom God has given you. The one that we are all created, the thing that we're all created to do into Christ is to reveal Jesus to the ones whom God has given us. So I ask you, who are they? Now we all live, work and play at different parts of the city. And you, you pick a spot to live and you pick the people that you wanna live with, but know that even if you do that, that you are there for people. Know that when you pick, pick, pick a job or you get a new raise or you get a new promotion or wherever you're working, that's great. Pick a job, do it under the Lord, but know that God has you there for people. Whatever you love to do in the city, to to live, have fun, go play, play, have a good time with your friends, your family, but know that even in the midst of that, God's called you there for a a better purpose. It's the people on our deathbeds. When we're numbering our days, what we're going to think about most is people. And so let God draw to mind and ask yourself that question this morning. Who are those whom God has given me? And then we're gonna ask yourself, can you be an answer to Jesus' prayer that he prays now for the disciples? Because the work that God has given all of us to do is to make Jesus known to people, which is why Jesus is gonna pray for these next two things. He's gonna pray for his disciples specifically. There's 11 men, he's gonna pray that they'd be protected from the world and that they would live sanctified and sent lives in the world. Let's look at what Jesus prays for them. First for protection in verse 11. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe. By that name you gave me, none of them has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so the scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have full assurance of my my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am not, and that I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. See, Jesus knows that he's just about to be leaving his disciples, and so he's praying for their protection. If you remember early on in the, the whole night, early on in the discourse, he actually told them, one of you is going to betray me. He's referring then to Judas, the one that was just about, as far as we know, maybe even in sight, like walking toward the Garden of Gethsemane to betray him right then. But he also told Peter that Peter was gonna deny him three times. And Peter said, I'm not gonna do that. And at the very end of chapter 16, right before he prays his prayer, he actually tells them all that they're gonna all scatter to their own homes when he gets betrayed. So Jesus knows there's gonna be some hard times that these disciples are gonna go get scattered and go all over the place. And so he's praying that God would protect them. Even in the midst of this, that God would protect them from what was about to happen. And I don't think he's concerned so much about their physical protection. He's concerned about their spiritual protection because that's what he says here. Protect them what? In verse 15, from the evil one. That's what I'm asking, to protect you from the evil one. He needed spiritual protection. He's praying and interceding over these men and asking for their protection. Specifically, he's asking for protection for a couple reasons. He knows that there's a real evil in the world, that there is an evil one, and he knows the tactics of the evil one. And there are too many to list, but you can see by the way that he prays for protection, at least a couple of the things that he's praying for their protection from. And the first is protection from division. Because that first part of the prayer, he says, protect them by the power of your name, that your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Knowing that they were all gonna get scattered and go different places, knowing that they had already had conversations about who was the greatest among them. Jesus now is praying in the spiritual realm that, that they would be protected from the, the division that could happen as they all get scattered, that they would still be one. He knows that's a tactic of the enemy to cause division. I think secondly, he was praying for protection from doubt because he prayed that they would not be lost. He mentions Judas, the one that was lost, the one that was doomed to destruction. But you get a sense that his prayer is that they would remain in the faith, that God would protect them. Well, while I was with them, I protected them. But now, Father, I'm asking you to protect them, protect them, keep them from their doubts. Because you can imagine, they were already having lots of doubts during this conversation, and now Jesus is gonna go away from them, and more doubts are gonna come up. And so he's interceding and saying, protect them from all the world and all the doubts that they would have. And then the third thing, you get a sense that he was praying for protection was that they would not lose their joy. He says that he would protect them so that they could have a full measure of joy. He knows that one of the tactics of the enemy is to steal our joy, and he's praying protection over them. Have you experienced those things before? Division, doubt, despair? Those are human experiences. And Jesus knows that his disciples are about to experience it. So he's praying for them that while they're in the world, they're going to have all these troubles that he promised them, He's asking God to protect them from the world. Now, when we get to be with Jesus in eternity, we're gonna have perfect unity, no division. We're gonna have all of our doubts wiped away, perfect faith. We're gonna have fullness of joy. But notice Jesus' last part of his prayer there. He says, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. That's the solution. We're gonna come out of the world, perfect unity, perfect joy, uh, no doubts. But now he knows, I know you guys are in the world and I'm leaving there for a reason. And this reason is because he has a purpose for their life. So first, he's praying protection in the world. Now we're going to see he's praying that they would actually be influencers in the world, specifically by living a sanctified and a sent life. Go now to verse 16. They're not of the world, even as I'm not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. So Jesus isn't taking us out of the world. He's called us to live a sanctified life and a sent life in the middle of the world, even as he protects us in the world. He's praying not that they would just be protected from the world, but we would actually be the ones that influence the world because of our sanctified and sent lives. Now, sanctified is kind of a a, a Christian word, not one that we use in our normal vernacular. We've talked about it recently when we talked about the Sabbath day being holy, which means set apart for our purpose. Sanctified means set apart for a purpose, and this is Jesus' prayer. Father, protect them, but now also set them aside for a purpose. I've got a reason that I'm not taking them from the world. I'm leaving them in the world to do something, a special purpose that I have for them, a set-apart purpose. And that purpose is to live a different life in the world. Idea of being set apart, sanctified by how? How do we get sanctified? By truth, and God's word is truth. And what Jesus wanted the disciples to do was to recall the words. He promised the Spirit was going to come to them. They would recall everything that he taught them, and they would live by a completely different way from the world, that they could be in the world but not of the world, in such a different lifestyle, such a different way of living, that people would look to them and say, that looks like Jesus, that they then could reveal Jesus to people by the way that they lived. So for instance, Jesus, on his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he's teaching his disciples a whole different way of how to live. He's teaching them how to live with humility and to see your spiritual need. He's talking to them about how to be people who live from the heart and don't just obey on outward circumstances, but obey from the heart or transform from within. He's teaching them how to be generous with their money and how not to worry about money. He's teaching them how to forgive their enemies, to pray for those that persecute them and to live a life without judging others. Now, when you start to live like that, people in the world are going to say, this looks different from the rest of the world, so much so that in that same Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This was Jesus' vision that we would live in the world in such a way that's so different from the world that people would look to us and they would see God and glorify God because of us, that we get to be part of Jesus' plan now to reveal Jesus. So let me ask you again, who are the people that God's given you? Who are the people God's given you? And how are you doing at sanctifying yourself under God's word and living according to his ways in such a way that lets your light shine wherever you live, work or play in our city? We did, uh, we did lose one bright light this week in Jim. And Jim lived his life in a way to shine his light. Uh, he really did. Um, my first uh, week of meeting him was um, when we first opened the building, or when we were first invited as Midtown Church to be part of the building. And uh, sorry, getting emotional. He uh, <clears throat> He called me just randomly. It was just something about the building. And and I was surprised to see that he actually came up in my contacts as Jim Deck. And so this is something that I do. Like when I don't remember my plumbers or the people that work on my deck, I just go like, Joe, plumber. That way I can always, when I need to find a plumber, I can just go to plumber. So, So obviously when Jim called me, I was like, how do, how do I have, to have this guy in my contact? Like, he must have done some deck work for me. So our very first conversation was me saying, hey, Jim, like, did you ever do deck work? And he said, yeah, yeah, back in the early 2000s. I'm like, you worked on my deck, but I don't, re- I don't recognize you. And he said, oh, yeah, well, at the time, um, I, at the time I, w- I, was, I had a subcontractor, that, and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. And he said, yeah, that guy um, was a guy that I hired because he had just come out of jail. He was in rehab, and he was trying to get off drugs, and I was trying to just give him an honest way to, to make a living. Like what a light! Like that was one to whom God had given Jim, and he was a light to him. Or just because he was on the facilities a lot, you'd often see him interacting. This kind of uh, a place where there's regularly like homeless people or uh, kind of tripped out people around the building. And I remember early on, just hearing Jim treat someone with dignity, and he was telling him about the way that God had changed his life, and he was telling him, "God can change your life too, man." I'm thinking that was just a random person to whom God had given Jim, and he was a witness. Or even most recently, uh, we learned that Jim was in Toastmasters, had no idea. And Jim had befriended a guy who is unable to drive, and he's been driving him to their Midtown community every week. That was just a person to whom God had given him or he was living, working, and playing with Toastmasters. That's what God wants to do. That's a life worth live. That's a life where at the end you could say, I finished the work that you've given me to do. You know, it's our big prayer that Austin would become more like heaven. That's her big prayer. And we can say it so often, Austin's not gonna become more like heaven until we become more like Jesus. And that's why when Jesus sets them apart, sanctifies them for a specific purpose, he sanctifies them, he asks the Father, do it by your word. Your word is what sanctifies When We come under God's word, when we come under Jesus' ways, and we submit our life to, doing that, to being with Jesus and becoming like Jesus. Then we start to do the things that Jesus did, and we become these lights scattered throughout our city because we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And we're gonna shine, and our life is gonna make a difference. As we become more and more like Jesus, we're gonna live like Jesus did, and particularly we're gonna be sent like Jesus was sent. One of my favorite, favorite verses right here. As you sent me into the world, so I sent them into the world. That's an amazing prayer. It's not really even asking the Father for anything. He's just he's stating a fact, like as you sent me, Now I'm sending them. He's reflecting on the end of his life and his his earthly life that I've I've finished the work that I've given you to do, but now I'm passing it on to others. And they're actually going to have to do it the same way that I was sent. Now this bears like a really basic question, but a really powerful one. How was Jesus sent? How was Jesus sent? Because whatever you answer to that question, that's the way you're sent. Because that's what he prayed. As you sent me, I'm sending them. So I reflected some this week, just thinking uh, about, <laughs> you could think about the incarnation forever and not, not exhaust your thoughts toward it. But I started thinking, how was Jesus sent? And I came up with at least four ways that I think Jesus was sent. and if, if, if these are the ways Jesus was sent, they're the same way that he's sending us. The first thing I thought was that Jesus left his holy huddle. I went to John 1 from these, which talks about how Jesus was sent. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Maybe, you've, maybe this is a term I only know, but holy huddle, there's, there's something that I can think like, Jesus left it, the holy huddle, like father, son, and spirit, the holy huddle. He left it. He left to go be with us. That's how we're to be. The reality is so profound when it comes to our mission that it begins with the fact that Jesus was eternally with the father and the spirit and he left it to come be with us. So for us to be a light to the people where we live, work and play in the city, we have to leave. We have to leave, we have to go. We have to leave our holy huddle. That means that you need to go spend time with friends that are outside of your Christian friends here at Midtown. For us to be a light to the people that God has given us, that means that you need to leave the comfort of your own home and go meet your neighbors. If we wanna be a light to the people whom God has given us, that means that you need to leave your computer in your home office and spend time with coworkers. If you wanna be a light to the one whom God has given you, that means you need to leave the people that you most like being around and go with, be with people that are different from you. We can't be a light to people that God has given us if we don't spend time with them. Jesus left his holy huddle. He went, as I sent you, or as you sent me, I'm sending you. So that means we leave our holy huddle to engage the world. Second thing I thought about was that Jesus came incarnationally. Again, going back to John, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus took on flesh. He didn't just enter our world. He became part of it, taking on flesh. I love the way that the message uh, version, that says here that he actually moved into the neighborhood. Like Jesus took on flesh. He, he got a part of our world. He could tell parables about all different things because he was part of the world and knew the people to which he was going to engage It's fine to stand on a corner and proclaim the gospel. God might call you to do that. But what he really wants you to do is he wants you to incarnate your life. He wants you to get close to the people that he's given you and be a part of their life and their work and find inroads then because you know them, find inroads to pray for them and where the gospel is gonna intersect their life and be good news. We have to leave our holy huddle and then we have to get to know people if we wanna be a light to those whom God has given us. Third thing I thought about as Jesus was sent, now we're sent to the same way, was that Jesus came for everyone. Again, going back to John, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus came first to the Hebrew people, but he came for all people. And we have to go to all people, not just those that are like us. That's why Jesus, you read the gospels, it's just so fun to see that he spent time with religious leaders and prostitutes and tax collectors, zealots and Romans and fishermen and doctors, uh, elderly people, children, Jews, Gentiles. And if we want to be sent like Jesus was sent, then we have to go to people that are different from us. We need to go to the rich. We need to go to the poor. We need to go to males. We need to go to females. We need to go to white, brown, black, immigrant, refugees, Democrat, Republican, religious, atheist, If we're going to be sent like Jesus was sent, we are going to go to the people that are different from us. All people we're going to proclaim. All people we're going to live as lights. And finally, Jesus came full of grace and truth. If Jesus was sent this way, we are sent this way. Jesus was sent with grace and truth. It says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came to the father full of grace and truth. Jesus came full of grace and truth. So we are sent With grace and truth. Don't fall prey to the false dichotomy. Our world's trying to get us caught up in this false dichotomy right now where all you can do is either condemn people or condone their behavior. That's not true. You can walk in Jesus' way. And there's a third way where you can tell your truth and love people. You can be full of grace and full of truth and walk in such a way that what the world really needs right now anyway. Don't fall prey to it. Don't make yourself be silent because you think you can only do one of the two. And also don't be a jerk in the way that you tell your truth. Like we can walk in Jesus' ways. He makes us more like him. We can live a life full of grace and truth as well. That's at least part of what it, it looks like to be part of this answer to Jesus' prayer, right? As, I, as Jesus was sent, we are sent. Ask yourself that question this week. Think more on it. How was Jesus sent? And every answer you come up with, that's an answer for you, wherever you live, work, and play in our city. So ask again, to to whom has God given you? To whom has God given you in your world right now? Let's be part of Jesus' answer to prayer. Jesus prayed this prayer when his days were numbered to one. Isn't that wild? One day left, and the people that he's thinking about most closely are, are the 11 men that he had spent his time with, reflecting on them and praying for them both for their protection, that they'd be protected from the evil in the world, but not just that, that then they would be sanctified and sent and live in such a different way that they would be like Jesus was when he came in the incarnation to the world. Amazing that he would pray that. We're sanctified by God's word. We need to stay in God's word and let it continue to shape us that we become more like Jesus. And when we do, we will be that light to the world. We're sent as Jesus was sent. So we need to do what Jesus did. Let's make it our aim as a spiritual family to live sanctified and sent lives where we live, work, and play in Austin. And let's help each other do it. Let's pray for each other. Let's pray Jesus' prayer for, that he prayed for the disciples over each other as well, that God would protect us in the world, but he'd use us to be sanctified and set apart for a special purpose and sent lives here in the world. As we uh, prepare for communion, uh, I want to look at one last verse. Uh, So the communion folks can go ahead and get the elements ready to distribute. The very last verse that we see here is that Jesus says, for them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. I sanctify myself that they may be truly sanctified. So Jesus was saying, not only am I setting you apart, he said, I've set myself apart. And ultimately what he's talking about there was that he was going to go to the cross and be the one that would allow us to be sanctified. Like we can't live a set apart life apart from what Jesus has done for us. And so it was his set apart life, his death on the cross, his resurrection that gives us the power to live this new life and to follow his ways and be the ones that can be, the ones that carry out his continued mission. Jesus was betrayed right after this prayer. As we've told you, he's in the garden. It's very, it's very possible too that as he's down there in the garden, there's another valley over here where he's walking and he sees all the, the soldiers coming and sees Judas coming his way. Knowing he's about to be betrayed, he would, he would tell the father, like I sanctify myself. I'm setting myself apart from you right now so that they can be sanctified. We can't live our sanctified lives that I described here apart from what Jesus has done for us. So we're gonna remember what he's done. I said that his words, uh, at the start of this prayer, he he boldly said, I've I've finished the work that you've given me to do. I've given you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. But he had had another prayer as well. On the cross, he prayed something similar. He prayed, it is finished. Now he had finished it. He'd finished his work with his disciples. Now he has finished his work of providing a possibility for us to be sanctified for all mankind. Should you take the elements? Why don't you just reflect on that for a moment before we take together?